Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! Connor Tate is going to round third, he will score! And rounding third is Blaylock, he will score! And the Dogs walk it off! If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down, Bryce Young's career. You need 10, play clock at four. From the pocket, launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone, and Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard, along with Jonathan Williams. And boy, are we happy to be here today. And we have some great stuff to bring to you guys. Uh, I can't be happier today. I know you can't either, Jonathan. Georgia holds off Ohio State in the Peach Bowl in probably the most epic game I've ever seen in person myself. And I know the Rose Bowl was incredible. That's probably like the most insane game in Georgia history on its own as well, but I wasn't able to be at that one. So the Peach Bowl gets to be the most insane game that I got to attend myself. And I know that that's probably the case for you as well. Uh, But I just almost at a loss for words when that game wrapped up my, I I just didn't know like how to feel like, or just other than just pure joy and excitement for what we just got to witness. And I just was kind of speechless for a second, you know, just kind of sit there like, they did it. They actually made it happen. They were able to come back in this game and make it a game that is something that we will remember in a positive light forever. So with that, Jonathan, your immediate reaction I know was like joyful, but like what was the thought going through your head when you saw that that kick get missed by Ohio State? Gosh, I I think honestly I, my first reaction because I was I was sitting in the end zone where the field goal was missed or not in the end zone, but I was sitting on that side of the field and I'm pretty sure I just I wasn't even conscious of what I was doing. I just was high-fiving everybody around me, hugging people. Didn't care who it was. There was just Georgia fans all around me. So it was just an unreal atmosphere right in that area. And I remember looking down at the Ohio State fan that was sitting below me. There was tears rolling down his face. I turned around to the other Ohio State fan that was behind me, and he was already booking it out of the stadium. It was it was so crazy to watch the momentum shift so quickly in that stadium because Man. for the majority of the game, Ohio State held almost all of the momentum because, you know, Georgia had some quick answers there in the first half. You know, they were kind of battling back. And then Ohio State started to cook a little bit and they got things rolling and Georgia just could not get an answer for them. And so Ohio State fans were sitting mighty fine and happily for majority of the second half and a lot of the first half as well. And then it was, as soon as Arian Smith with that 76 yard touchdown or wherever it was or whatever it was then you could just feel the energy completely move to the other side of the stadium and just stayed there the entire time and so it was just crazy to watch the atmosphere throughout all of that and then of course everybody's reaction to him missing the field goal because i think 
Georgia fans would be lying if they said they didn't think Ohio State was going to win that game, especially after C.J. Stroud had that like 25-yard run or whatever it was, and they got into field goal position because it just felt like at that moment you couldn't you couldn't let them get in that position, and then you let them, and you gave them an opportunity. You let the door cracked open a little bit, but it wasn't enough, and it was just an unreal ending, like you said, it, just for Georgia to pull off that comeback and for the game to end that way, and with everything that was on the line, national championship on the line, and so many different implications. It was just incredible to watch that game unfold. It, it really was. And kind of like what you said, like the momentum shifts throughout the entire game, man. I mean, that was the most intense thing because it would be one second. And like myself included, like I'm standing there going, dude, I don't know if Georgia can like, if they can make this comeback at this point, it's late in the game. It's a 14 point game. And then all of a sudden they make a huge play like that area. Like you're talking about that Arian Smith touchdown. And just all of a sudden I felt the energy in myself again, where I was sitting here going, man, it's a, you know, it's a one score game again. We got a chance. Like Georgia can actually do this. Um, something like that. And feeling it throughout the entire game too, because in the first you know, first half, Ohio State's up twenty or twenty-one to seven, and at that point, you're sitting back, going, "Uh-oh, Georgia's Georgia's up against the ropes right now." Because it, it's early in the game, but they are in fact up against the ropes because you have got to put something on the board before that lead goes any further. F- anything more than fourteen points is daunting in a playoff game. I mean, absolutely daunting. But what does Georgia do in the matter of like four minutes of game clock? They take that lead and they make it go disappear. And literally, like I'd have to go back and clock it directly, but I'd, I'd be willing to bet it's close to about four minutes of game clock that and Georgia goes and scores 14 points to make it a 21-21 game to be, you know, and then ends up only down, uh, what, four at halftime? Was it 4.28 to 24 mm-hmm. at halftime? Yep. So it's 28-24 at halftime. And all of a sudden you're going, all right, I feel I feel Georgia's back in this. You know, they come out on offense in the second half with the ball. They have a great chance to take the lead back and keep the momentum on their side. Like you said, it had been shifting back and forth so much at this point. And then, you know, they come out again. Don't put any points on the board. Ohio State has a chance to score. They end up scoring going up 11 points. And uh, once again, you're feeling that 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 thought in the back of your head going, this is going to be a tall one. This is the tall order to, to you know fulfill here. This is a long path to get back in this game. I you know at that point you're going. I think they can still do it, but it is tough. Um, and then just it just kept going back and forth like that the entire game. You saw how and like you said when they lined up for that kick, I'm sitting here in my head going, we like Georgia just lost this game. I mean they mm-hmm. like C.J. Stroud beat you with his legs, which is something that you and I sat here talked about. We said he's not going to do that. He hasn't yeah. done. All year, he hasn't done it. I think on the year before this game, he only had about 75 rushing yards or something like that on the season. He ended up with like 35, I think, but he ran for more than 35. I think they deducted some for sacks and things like that. Because mm-hmm. he, he, I mean, that play alone was like 40 yards, wasn't it? It was ridiculous. Yeah, and just just a tremendous amount of respect that I have for C.J. Stroud after that game because I knew Ohio State's offense was good. And I actually came here on this podcast and I told you and all of our viewers, I said, I don't know that Ohio State is a walking 28 points coming into this game. I said, I don't know that they're capable of it. And boy, oh boy, did they prove me wrong. And I'll own up to that because yep. I did – I said that Ohio State was going to have to play their perfect game if they wanted a chance at beating Georgia, and they did. C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., Egbuka, all those guys balled out. Fleming, they were just outstanding the entire game, it, and they made it look so easy. 
so seamless. Every time they got the ball, it just seemed like they would drive down the field in a matter of seconds, and they were already knocking on the door again. So C.J. Stroud played phenomenal, and actually people are saying now that they wouldn't be surprised if he's the first quarterback overall taken because of what he did against Georgia. And NFC, an NFC GM actually specifically said what he just did to Georgia, against Georgia just tremendously caused an uprise in his draft stock. So nothing but respect for Ohio State's offense and Ryan Day. They brought it that entire game, and they – dang near won that game because of what they were able to do. But I remember specifically right before um, the Arian Smith touchdown, my dad texted me and he goes, man, we're going to need old lady luck for this one. And it's like almost as it felt like, like as soon as he sent that text, Stetson bombed it to Arian Smith and they scored a touchdown. I just texted back like there's part one. And then the rest of it, you know, is history and it unfolded and Georgia goes on to win. But I also told my dad, I was like, that and that what Georgia pulled off in that game felt like what Alabama did to Georgia so many times because yeah. the losses that Georgia had to Alabama, Georgia was in control for a lot of the game. And it seemed like they had it in their hands the entire time. And a lot of people started to lose faith. Like, Oh, this is going to finally be the time that Kirby smart and Georgia knocks off Alabama. And then all of a sudden Alabama would just come storming back late in the game and just rip their hearts out every single time. And that's honestly what that game felt like. Because everybody started to count out Georgia. Absolutely. It looked like Ohio State was going to run away with it. And then just Georgia kept on swinging, kept on throwing punches, and they get the final knockout. And everybody's just like, did that really just happen? Did Georgia really just win that game? Or did they really pull off that come from behind victory? And it, again, like you said, it just leaves you speechless because you don't know how to process what just happened in that short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that um, one thing that you and I talked about prior to the game as well was you needed somebody on Georgia's roster to step up. I, I, I didn't think they were going to let you just feed Bowers all game long. You know, I, I thought I, I figured you know they were going to try to take him away. Uh, they might try to like limit Ad Mitchell some as well. Plus, didn't know exactly how healthy he was going to be for the game. Um, and I, I said somebody else is going to have to beat Ohio State. Somebody else is going to have to do it because Ohio State can't come in there and let you beat them with Brock Bowers. Not going to do it. And boy, did some other people step up. I mean, absolutely had some phenomenal performances from several people. Like it's hard to pick one particular player because I feel like so many players contributed in huge positions of this game, right? Like Arian Smith, he only had three catches. Two of them were like insane, insanely huge catches. I mean, the one you just talked about was the 72-yard touchdown and in the fourth quarter when you're down 14 points. And he put that dude on skates, okay? You can talk about the dude falling. He fell because he fell for the head fake that Arian gave inside. And when he broke back out to the outside shoulder of him, he couldn't physically keep up at that point. He knew he had to scramble. And what he did is he fell because of it. Like, he was put on his butt by Arian Smith. Don't let anyone think like, act like he just tripped or something like that. He was put on his butt. The wide receiver went out there and won that rep. Absolutely had to have it in that moment, and he gave it to you. And Stetson threw a beautiful ball to him. And, you know, I mean, how you know Arian absolutely just burned the defense on that? The safety couldn't even remotely come close to covering him either. <laughs> Nobody was the safety had The safety had no chance of getting over there in time either. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just completely ran past that defense. Um, and so then you had Kenny McIntosh who had a really, really good day overall as well. I mean, he even had um, 56 yards receiving in the game, right? He had that huge run. He only ran the ball five times. Um, yeah, five times for 70 yards, and that most mm-hmm. of that came on that big run. It was, yeah, surprising, right? He only ran it five times. And he had, 50, what, 52 yards when he fell on that play? Yeah. 
I think it was 52 on that. So he only had eight rushing yards outside of that. Um, or did I? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had 70. Yeah, he had 70 overall. That's what I said. My brain messed up for a second. So he he really he had that one, and then he had those receptions that really really helped him. He ended up having 130 or, or some or 120 something yards of total offense. Um, so that was huge for you. The big thing that both of us yeah, have tried to harp on a few times throughout the season was who do you look to in big third down situations? Who do you go to in those spots? Right. One thing that I'm pretty sure you said it last week was um, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. On third downs, he's your dude. And boy, did he come through. He came through for you on a third and six, makes a nice in-breaking route, and just it was it was beautiful. Helped picked up the third down, kept moving down the field. You scored on the drive. Um, and then another one was Kyrus Jackson. I believe, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that was also a huge third down play that he made it on that final drive. It was on the final drive, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the final drive. Yeah. And then the very next play, I believe, is when he hit AD. Yeah. So it, it, I'm pretty sure it was third down. I want to say it was third down. If not, it may have been second. But um, big moments in the game. You see these guys coming through for you. And I just love the fact that uh, Kiaris Jackson got to be a huge part of that last drive because that guy has been nothing but good to the University of Georgia. Yeah, he, he earned um, that I, moment. I, he really did. I hate how he's kind of fallen on the depth chart and, you know, because of his injuries and stuff, and he hasn't really been able to be the guy that I thought he could. Uh, but I love seeing him involved in that that championship drive, that that lead, that drive that just absolutely will go down into history of UGA football. I mean, it's just it was beautiful to see. Um, and then obviously Brock Bowers had a huge play on that last drive as well, so that was awesome to see. But Stetson freaking Bennett, man, let's talk about him for a second. Because he gets so much disrespect in the Georgia space overall. He has for a couple of years now. I text, I sent a text to you and, and Dan and Harrison in the, in the group chat. And I said, I will officially get into a fist fight with anyone that talks trash about Stetson Bennett from here on out. Because the dude just absolutely puts on in these big games. He has thrown for nearly 1,000 yards. And I want to say like eight touchdowns in three playoff games at this point. And He's ridiculous in the postseason we're unconscious in the postseason. He's averaging like 309.8 yards and three touchdowns per game in the yeah. postseason. He is. And I mean, just unconscious. And then in the fourth quarter alone, he, he gave you 190 yards and two touchdowns, man. And I mean, like thinking of the game, like leading up until the entire fourth quarter, what were people like? If you would have asked people how has Stetson been at playing, they would have said it. He's average right now. This is not Stetson Bennett. Even like Brooks was saying on the timeline, like this is 2020 Stetson Bennett. This is not the Stetson Bennett that we've seen all year. And for him to have the ability, he's done it twice now. He did it against Alabama in the national championship game, and he did it again against Ohio State to completely just wipe away three quarters of football in his mindset and just give a fresh, clean start and throw for 119 yards or whatever it was in the fourth quarter and two hundred ninety. 190, 190 yards yeah, in the fourth quarter and two touchdowns. That, that's ridiculous. Like That is not normal for someone to have that mental capacity to just w- wipe everything clean in the heat of the moment on one of the biggest stages of in the, one of the biggest moments of your entire career. Like If you don't ball out in this last quarter, your football career is done if you're sensitive. That's the type of things that are running through your mind in those moments of like, this very well could be my last quarter as a Georgia Bulldog. And boy, did he not let that happen. It's 190 yards in the fourth quarter. Out through for 398 Unreal. yards and three touchdowns in the game and completed the same and had the same completion percentage as CJ Stroud. 
if you would like, I remember you telling me the stat line, the sets and stat line at the end of the game, and I was like, there's no way. There there is no way he just basically outdueled CJ Stroud essentially in a sense. I know he had that interception, but essentially outdueled CJ Stroud. And like I would have I didn't believe you because I was like, there's no way based on how what I watched. So just unreal. We we joke around talking about this a uh, drop your nuts moment. That was a freaking drop your nuts moment from the mailman. And boy, <laughs> does he always deliver. Dude, I sent that text like that was like that was my statement of the entire game. I was like, this is the moment you got to do it. It's time to drop them. Like I was like, your defense has to do it now. After the defense did, it, I said, all right, it's time for your offense to do it. They got that touchdown. I was like, all right, now your defense has to hold up again to make sure they don't. You know, they have fifty seconds on the clock or whatnot. You got to do it. You got to hold them. You cannot let them score here. Um, and you know, a missed field goal saves the day for you. But no, Stetson Bennett, dude. I mean, the stat line for the people that if y'all haven't looked it up yet and you're just listening to this for, for the first time and they're hearing this, C.J. Stroud on the day, right? C.J. Stroud was 23 for 34 and 348 passing and four touchdowns. Great day. Incredible day. No no interceptions on that. Just an incredible day, right? Stetson Bennett, same exact completion percentage. Like you said, he had 23 and 34, exact same as C.J. Stroud, but he had 50 yards more. He had 398 yards and he also had four total touchdowns, four total because you, you people aren't looking at that rushing touchdown he had after Kenny fell. He's the one that put the ball in the end zone after Kenny mm-hmm. fell at the six yard line, seven yard line, whatever it was. Um, so he ended up with four total touchdowns and a yes, granted a very bad interception. I mean, it was I, I won't be the first one. I won't try to like hide it or, or, or you know, downplay. It. I mean, it was a bad throw. I mean, he had a very bad throw in that, and that put Georgia in a bad spot. They, it led to seven points for Ohio State. But you know what? Kid put on after that. Like I said, he didn't let that hold him down in the game. Fourth quarter comes around, and he's got to be the most clutch quarterback I've ever seen play at Georgia. I mean, he has to be. Yeah, no doubt. And it's just there were so many big moments in that game made by so many different people. Like one, one shout-out I want to give is to Oscar Delp. For you, to, a true freshman, you, I mean, you, everybody talked about Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, who's going to stop him? Brock ba- or Darnell Washington goes down pretty early in the game, and baptism by fire, Oscar Delp. You're in the college fall playoff as a true freshman, and you're going in basically for the remainder of the game. And he wasn't there for the remainder of the game, and he blocked his tail off every single down. Wasn't even like really a, involved in the offensive game plan. They basically just said, like, go out there and block, and boy, did he do it. Those are just things you love to see in a game like that unselfish play and then one of the biggest moments also Marius Mims by the way had to fill in for Warren McClendon he played a heck of a game as well and just the defense in general to step up in big moments because it felt like there was a point in time where Georgia didn't have a single edge rusher left on the roster every single one that got subbed like you already Nolan Smith was already out he's been out for the most of the year Chaz Chambliss goes down with the injury Michael Williams starts cramping up on the field so you're you're not sure if he's gonna be able to come back Bobby Bill goes down Bobby Beal goes down. It just seemed like every single edge rusher Georgia had, you were losing them. It's like, who do we even put in at this point? And, it, and the, they stepped up. But most importantly, the moments that you have to talk about is one, Kirby Smart's timeout on the fake field, on the fake punt. That that was unreal that he pulled that off. Not only because, one, there was 12 men on the field for Ohio State, which I know you don't call it until after the play is concluded, from what I understand about the rule. So not exactly sure if that would have been called or not, but it – you have to take it as it is. Is like it didn't seem like they were going to call it, but for him to get that timeout off, that was a that was a game changing moment. So I think they're supposed to throw. The thing is, I don't know if they would have thrown the flag because they're supposed to throw the flag after the snap. It's like having twelve men on the field. Yeah, it's like if you don't get exactly off, they throw the flag. Saying. And after it didn't look the like snap. anybody was going to be throwing a flag. 
there was no flag on the field. The snap was ha- like the snap happened. So whoever the the back umpire was behind the play that's supposed to be counting the players, he didn't do it or he didn't see it because that flag should have been thrown as soon as the ball was snapped because the ball was snapped as a, basically as the timeout was being called. So like there's no way he just was like, "Oh, I'm just not going to throw it." Because like he should have been already throwing it cuz he he saw he should have counted it. He should already had his hand on the flag. I'm like 99% sure he was not going to call that flag. So that yeah, that, so that I mean that timeout literally saved it. Yeah, that was a big moment. We've listed tons of other moments. Like Brock Bowers getting that first down on the fourth down, huge. What Dude, he was able to do with his six. body on that play, extend or, the ball yeah, over the first six, right? marker. Huh? I think it was fourth and six. Yeah, it was fourth down. Like almost a do or die moment as well in that game. Yeah. And for him to keep his body inbounds, keep a hand inbounds, and then extend the ball over the pylon. And thank goodness they had the pylon camera on that play because it gave you the perfect angle to yep. see that he clearly got past the first down marker. That was another big play. And then one that I think kind of gets thrown or has kind of been hidden and not talked about much that happened in that game. It was on Ohio State's final drive of the game. And there was a play where I can't remember who the wide receiver was, but it, Keely Ringo was in was in position to defend the pass and he bats it down and keeps him from picking up extra yards on that play because people ridiculed Keely for that entire game because it seemed like kind of like the LSU game it seemed like Keely was getting burnt nobody could cover anybody yada 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 but for him kind of like in a Stetson moment like for him to just wipe everything clean and in that moment he clamped up in a huge do or die moment and batted the ball away and he actually was frustrated at the play because I think he felt like he should have picked it off yeah. but he batted the ball away and he made them stay in the same field position. So, like you just had you like every, so many different people on your team down the stretch had to come up with in huge moments and make a big play and you got them. And that's what great teams do. And when everything is against you and you got to make some big plays, something's got to shake. That's what happened. Your best players are supposed to shine in those moments. And they did for Georgia, including your head coach. Oh, he did. And, and going back to the head coach part on that, I don't know if you saw it. I actually, excuse me. I saw it today. Um, he was on, he, he went on Pat McAfee's show and Pat was asking him and goes, Hey, you know, talk to me about that, that timeout call It's probably like, everyone's talking about it. It's like, that might be the best timeout, like in the history of like college football. Like it saved a fourth down fake punt because they would have gotten it. And that was crucial at that point in the game, obviously. Um, and he goes, and, and Kirby was talking about it. He said, yeah, we, um, we've been beat on that twice this year. So, to say we're hyper observant on on punts and so we're looking for very specific things so he essentially said that during their prep work they they look at formations um of like the opposing team in punt formation and so if something looks weird they're they're suspicious because he said when they came out in that formation we knew it was a a, a fake he said they came out in a specific formation and we knew it was a fake so that t- and and he literally got, he said we got beat by uh, South Carolina got us with it at this year and Auburn got it or, or Auburn called one on us but I think they didn't get it I think that's what he said um, so he was talking about like it's just all in the prep work basically like he they knew that that formation because they had been beat on stuff like that beforehand so they were hyper observant of it in their prep work to see what that formation would look like for Ohio State um, it, I guess it just was an abnormal formation so he he said. He said going into it that if we see something weird on a punt formation, we're just going to call a timeout. That is just what we are going to just do it. Uh, if they weren't going to call a fake, it is what it is. But if we see something out of the ordinary, we are going to call a timeout. And so that's what he did. It happened to be on a fake punt. 
um, saved the game. Honestly, it did. It saved. The, it saves the game for Georgia because at that point they can keep taking clock off, and you're trailing. You need every second that you could get. Um, and it just it, it was just a beautiful thing overall to see how it all played out for Georgia. Uh, a player that we got to talk about because we I mentioned this last week as well of where he could be helpful in the the rush the the pass rush for you and you're talking about how you had different edge rushers out and stuff like that but a player that stepped up in the pass rush as well Javon Ballard I mean he got another sack same exact type of thing that he did against Tennessee that's what I talked about last week was the way he played against Tennessee they sent him on that kind of corner blitz uh, that's you know kind of a, a secret you know just hiding over there in the corner on the the blind side of the quarterback where he turns his back the other way and he comes flying in uh he he got back in the backfield two or three times again uh first one he he connected with which by the way i think an underrated part of that play that i don't know if anybody else caught yet bear alexander honestly is the reason that that happened if bear alexander is not getting into cj's face he might see he might see javon coming off the corner because he sees uh, Bear Alexander coming down the middle on him, so he can't look left anymore. He no longer has the ability because he has to worry about the guy that's coming in, like in front of him. So he's not even paying attention to to Ballard there. So he gets a clean hit without him even noticing him being there because Bear Alexander right up the middle and just c- completely breaking up the play for CJ as well. Um, and then later in the game, I think on the final, I want to say it was on the final drive. Uh, he gets in the backfield again. CJ made a miss, but he gets in the backfield again on a free blitz, essentially. And then, obviously, the the huge hit in the end zone that saved a potential touchdown, Marvin Harrison Jr., um, which also on that play, from what everybody's saying and what I saw, too, he stepped out of bounds on that as well. So he it should have been, even if he were to have made the play, it should have been illegal touching. Um, but then Ballard coming in there, and I don't know, I told you guys this, I was probably standing about 10 yards away from that play when he hit him. And I don't, the video, you can see how hard he hits him. Uh, You can, you know, you hear some sound. There's a video that came out that was like right there. Somebody was like filming on their phone or something like right there where the play happened. And you can kind of hear it. None of it does justice to how violent that hit was on the field. I mean, not, not a bit of it does it even slight enough justice of how hard he was hit on that play. And the fact that he was able to turn his shoulder in and also turn his head away from the play is what saved it from being targeting. And just, I mean, when I tell y'all, I mean, the dude was knocked out. I'm pretty sure he was unconscious for a second. Like he, he yeah, was put out. Like it. I mean, it was ridiculous. Like he wasn't moving. He was just down. I mean, but Ballard in that game, that play specifically, just, I mean, unreal. I mean, dude came to play. He seems to do that in those big games. He did it against Tennessee, and he did it again against Ohio State with the same type of offense. You know, you got to worry about them throwing it all over you. He's just a guy that is all over the field at all times of the game, and he's making plays every single – wherever he is and the ball's there, like he's going to make a play. And that you can tell that Kirby Smart and the, and those defensive coaches trust him to do that. It's almost like they kind of just put him out there and they're like, bro, just go play football. We're like, We don't have an assignment for you. Just, just play football because – He's blitzing and he he gets home every single time or or he's at least disrupting the passer or if he's making a play on the ball in the secondary, he's doing something. He's he's hitting someone hard. He just plays with so much fire and so much force. That's someone that's really fun to watch on defense. And he's been a really he's been a joy to watch this entire year. And you mentioned he's came up in some huge moments for Georgia and a lot of those players have. But so you talked about one of the keys that we said for Georgia women is someone else has to beat Ohio State. You had to have someone else 
step up because Lad McConkey was hurt or he was at least banged up a little, so you weren't sure how oh, he was, was going to be. And you already bad, mentioned AD, dude. yeah. He, the fact that he still he was still out there playing and then he's the fact that play, he made that like speaking of that too before I'm, I'm going to cut you off I'm sorry I'll let you get back into it in a second speaking of Lad though that two the fact that he was even out there on that two point play to to put Georgia at a you know a, a back in the game um, when he stood up he, he could barely walk mm. after that play uh, he shouldn't have been out there but he was because he needed he wanted to be and he made a he comes through for you but the reason he's not on your stat sheet is cuz the dude was in, in pain he was really mm-hmm. hurt you could see it on his face he stood up and you could see the pain in his face and that's just the definition of he, he's got that dog in him and i i don't mean like that georgia dog which he, he uh-huh. obviously has that but yeah, he's but, just got that dog in him that physical toughness that mental toughness a lot of people don't have that Lyle McConkey certainly has it so, yeah, the fact that he was even out there just running around, absolutely mind-blowing. So you talked about Arian Smith being a guy that stepped up. And then we said some other ones. One that I said was getting them off the field on third down. I was shocked to see this because it felt like they were just getting first down at the first time, but I also told you that they're really good at not getting themselves in third down situations. They were four for 12 on third down yep. situations, Ohio State was. So you did Both a good job there. Both teams were bad on third down, man. Both teams oh, were Georgia bad on third down. Oh, Georgia was two for 10. Horrible. Yep. Both teams were really bad on third down. So you you did your job there. In the red zone, you were pretty solid, actually, Georgia was. And you talked about this when Kenny McIntosh slipped up on the 10-yard line and you said, I was already preparing myself for settling for a field goal or not even getting any points there because that's just been Georgia's season all year in the red zone is you just come up short. And Georgia delivered really a lot of that was going to happen, too. And like, like, I, <laughs> I really felt like that was going to happen. When he I, fell, I, I looked over and I was like, we're going to not score here, are we? Like, we're going to somehow we're going to he falls from a phantom like uh, the sniper comes out. The turf monster reaches mm-hmm. up and grabs him. And we're just going to yeah. not score here, huh? But I was, and, oh my God, I was sweating out the next couple plays. <laughs> but so in the times that, that you were in the red zone and you had to have a score, like you had to have a touchdown, Georgia delivered. I don't know the exact numbers. Like I don't know your the their exact conversion rate in regards to touchdowns and field goals. I know you, they had some a couple missed field goals, so that kind of counts against you. But when you needed touchdowns, Georgia was getting into the, touch, into the end zone. And part of that has to do with, Ohio State having the 121st ranked red zone defense, but you took advantage of that and Georgia was able to capitalize off of it. And it's ultimately what helped you win that football game. And then my other one, which this one didn't happen at all, was I said, you can't have both Igbuka and Marvin Harrison beat you. And boy, did those cats beat Georgia all over the field. They beat them for the all three quarters that both of them were healthy. And gosh, but they found a way. Like I said, great teams find a way to win. And it was just like, Ohio State kept throwing punches, and they were knocking down Georgia. They were knocking them down, but they never knocked them out. And when Georgia's, when it came Georgia's turn to keep throwing their own punches, they were the ones that got the final kill shot and delivered the final blow. And that's what great teams do, man. You just, you can't, you let, you like, you survive those waves that Ohio State had. You were able to survive them. You stayed afloat. You kept yourself standing tall. And then when you were able to get your chance, you just bang, 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 and the rest is history. Forty, you got a one point win headed to the 42, Natty. Forty-two, forty-one. And you're going to the national championship. So here's the thing. Um, then Stan in the comments right now, I think he's right. I think that because the two missed field goals, I'm pretty sure. I know were one out of them was the a long zone. field goal. So that wasn't red. Zone. I'm pretty sure they were both out of the red zone. Um, okay. So I'm pretty sure they did just score touchdowns every time they got into the red zone. I don't think. Well, picture perfect. No, that we kicked one field goal. To, when we put uh, right before half the twenty the to, from twenty one to twenty four that might have been in the red zone. I don't know. Um, somebody yeah, can go tell me how long that field goal. Actually, hold on. 
I'll tell you. Okay. I'll t- I'm, I'm on the thing I was real quick. To think Lesney, he had a 32-yard long. So I don't know if that counts as I don't know if it counts as that'd be in the red zone. That'd be in the red is zone. It where, because is, that means both that means know. both of his field goals should have been in the red zone. Um okay. actually both of his field goals would have been because if 32 yard long, uh 17 of that's from you know the setup. So that yeah, they would have been in the red zone on both of those. Well, they would have had to be. So two of them would two field you settle for two field goals in the red zone, but you score touchdowns on everything else. Um but yeah, it, the red zone was huge. Your defense came through for you, you know, when they needed to against Ohio State as well in the red zone. Now they were scoring a crap ton of points on you. Your defense could barely find some breaks occasionally, but they did step up in some big moments to give your offense a chance to catch back up in that game. So I will say, um, I, I will say that overall, though, looking back on this game, I, un- I personally, and I, I'm not afraid to admit it, I underestimated Ohio State in this game. I did. I, I 100% did. I'm not going to be the one to sit here and act like I just, you know, I knew this was going to be a one point game. No, I, I, I think I came on here and said it could be, you know, a seven to 10 point game, um, Georgia's favor. And yeah, I know Georgia missed two field goals, so they could have had six more points and it could have been a seven point game. But quite frankly, I think it was a good thing that Georgia was only up one point on that last drive. Had Georgia been up four plus points and they needed a touchdown on us, hmm. I, I don't I'm I'm being dead serious when I say I don't know if Georgia can hold them because they have been because what happened is once CJ made that scramble and CJ gets into you know our side of the field all of a sudden they changed the way they had to play offense because at that point they're playing I right, can't turn the ball over we're already in field goal range we just need to get it put our kicker in a good spot or try to get a couple of yards and then and then kick the field goal they weren't trying to go for over over top your head anymore. They weren't looking for that play anymore because it's dangerous, right? If they need that whole touchdown at that point, CJ has time to sit back there and and pick you apart like he had done all game. It, it's it's could be scary. Like it could really be scary. I thought it was interesting that their final play before the field goal that they did elect to pass. And if you look I was at surprised it from on that. From the all 22 version, which Ryan Day already came out and said that he wouldn't have changed anything about what they were trying to do there, which I respect that, you know, own up to what you did and stand in the paint, brother. And that's what he did. So I respect that. But and if you look at the all 22 version, they had a wide receiver running an out route towards the boundary and he was open and CJ Stroud was about to let it go. But the pass rush got home and forced Stroud to back up a little bit. And then, of course, he had to just throw it away. So so did you see did you see Brooks's video on that? He posted one on Twitter today. Did you see it? I did see that. I remember listening to it. Yeah. Okay. So what happened on that play and it, the reason he didn't throw, if you watch the angle of it, because CJ had, this was all happening in such a split second. Yes. The wide receiver was in fact wide open. He really was. But the way that uh, Bobby Beal was rushing, mm-hmm. I think it was like a stunt or something like that. He kind of dropped back for a second and what like, and had to make his way over to his right, like that way. And as he did that, as CJ is looking down that line, Bobby Beal is right in his line of sight between him and the ball. So, and at that very second, and I, I, I would assume that CJ is thinking he's dropping into coverage because it kind of looked like he might be. And at that point, he's not open. The problem was if he had waited even like a half a second more, Bobby was was in fact blitzing or, or you know trying to create pressure. So he engaged with the tackle on that, and at that point, he could have made the throw. But because he thought that, and he had to look somewhere else because it's at the heat of the moment. 
he immediately looks back to his right away from the play and starts to scramble out because he feels the pressure coming and there was pressure starting to come up the middle. Literally half a second, if he had stayed looking at that receiver for half a second longer, he would have thrown the ball and they would have been about seven, eight yards closer on that field goal. And sometimes that's all defense kind of boils down to is you don't necessarily have to always be in the right position, but if you can just make a quarterback think for even just a split second, that's all the time. That's all the time you need because that half a second that it took for him to think about throwing that football, it's what allowed Georgia's pass rushers to get there. And then that's what forced him out of the pocket and what looked like he was about to be brought down to the ground in your ball game at that point was going to be over. If he got yeah, because he would have been tacked beyond the fifty at that point. Like he was beyond yeah, the fifty. He would. He was definitely on the midfield logo. So if that would have happened, the ball game would have been over. And then he has to toss it away, and that's what resulted in you, Ohio State, having to kick the fifty-yard field goal. And I thought it was crazy that their kicker had, in his career had never made a, a field goal of fifty or more yards. Never in his career he was over five. So I thought so that you was know, interesting. You you know that the forty-eight yarder that he connected on was his career long, right? I de- well, I know I didn't know that because I was in the stands. I didn't get all that stat yeah. info. No, I found I found this out afterwards. I found this out afterwards. Okay. So the the forty eight yard field goal uh, that he kicked earlier was his career long. And if you remember watching that, it barely went over the post. I mean, he barely oh, had it, enough yeah. leg. I didn't think like, it went through. It, it barely went over the post to the point where somebody that was standing behind it was Pat McAfee was standing behind the the mm-hmm. field goal post he caught the ball it didn't mm-hmm. hit the net or anything he caught the ball standing right behind the post um well you got to think that that's sitting in his mind right as he lines up for a field goal that's 2 yards further so he needs 6 more feet right he's going i, I kicked that ball as hard as i could a minute ago it barely went over i need every ounce of power Every ounce of power and that I can I gotta possibly get over their defensive lineman's hands at the same time because when you're kicking that far yes. back, you got to kick it low. Yes, you have to kick it hard, and you need the distance, so you have to kick a line drive rather than the float. You know exactly, so you have to worry about the defense getting in your face. So you got that thought. Then you have the thought of this is literally the longest field goal I could kick earlier, essentially, and I've got to kick it two fur- two yards further. So I'm kicking the crap out of this football. I'm going to kick it as hard as I possibly can. You know what that does? It makes you hook the football because you're when you overkick the ball like that, you are going to hook it. You're going to pull it every time, every single time when you try to kick it that hard because you lose control of it when you're kicking that hard. And that's exactly what happened. Like I, I'm sitting here, like you know, it was in his head, in his mind the whole time. He's lining up. I need, I need two more yards than I did last time. I barely made it. Here we go. Let's give it a try. Let's see if I can do it. And just, and then you add in the pressure of. Hey, this is a trip to the national championship on the line. It, it the entire team, the entire state of Ohio is looking at me right now. All 22 million people watching this football game on on ESPN are looking at me right now. I've got to do this. The pressure just it sometimes just sits there and you overthink it. Kirby calling the timeout to ice it, make him think about it even longer. And Dan, you're in the you're in the comment section. You were a special teams guy. You were a punter. Whenever you're kicking and stuff like that, it's a mental game sometimes. It is mental. So much of it's mental because you have the leg. Like you physically can do it, but it's so much mental that you're thinking about when you're lining up. You, you, there's not like you had to worry about weather or weather winds or anything like that. It's literally air condition going on in here. It's not going to uh, you know mess with the, the flight of the ball. It's what you can physically kick right here. And I, I think the moment was just a little too big for him. Um, I really, really wish – social media and Ohio state fans and stuff. would kind of lay off the kid because mm-hmm. he is in fact yeah. a kid. He's in college, uh, Noah Ruggles and 
I, I, I felt bad for the guy. You know, I was happy that Georgia wins and I'm happy that he missed the field goal because Georgia advances to a national championship in LA next week. But I it, instantly I'm going, man, that kid is probably the most hated person in Ohio right now. And even LeBron James tweeted and goes, what the heck was that? I mean, can you imagine me and this kid? You'd log into social media and LeBron James is sitting here like screaming at you on social media. Like, come on. That's what sucks, too, is that's what he's always going to be remembered as, too. From that point on, he's going to be remembered as the kicker that missed the go ahead field goal to send Ohio State to the national championship instead of being remembered for his game winning field goal in the Rose Bowl last year. He's not going to be remembered for that anymore. He's going to be remembered as a guy that missed that kick. And it just sucks. And hopefully he'll be able to bounce back from it because I, he's obviously got the consistency part down. He nailed majority of his field goals that night and they look good for the most part. And he gave like, I know on that 48 yard or whatever that it was close, but still like he made it. And nonetheless, he put points up on the board for you and he was good for you most of the night. Yep. It just came down that last kick and he couldn't deliver for you. So yeah, it does suck for the kid. That's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure to be <laughs> held to, especially when, like you said, LeBron James is out there tweeting after you. Dude. That's, that's, that's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. And so hopefully he'll be able to bounce back and he'll be able to move forward from that. And that definitely just doesn't define his entire career. You know, you don't define a quarterback's career by one throw. You shouldn't do it for a kicker for just one single kick in his career. So sucks for him. But nonetheless, Georgia's headed off to the national championship. And we're going to get a quick rundown in of this national championship real quick because we're not going to be able to see you guys and talk to you guys before the national championship. This is it. So we got to do it this Monday and we're going to give you as much as you can. But we'll keep it quick. We don't want to keep you guys too long. But first thing that comes to your mind, Jeremiah, when you're talking about TCU, the matchup that Georgia has, obviously Georgia cannot probably play the same way that they did against Ohio State and win this football game because Max Duggan is a dude. He can run a lot better than C.J. Stroud. They got a really good wide receiver. So Georgia definitely has to play a better football game, and they know that. Kirby Smart and those guys talked about it. But what are your original thoughts going into this matchup? What are you looking for? What do you think Georgia needs to do in order to be crowned back-to-back champions? So it's it's first of all it's going to start you know on the defensive side of the football because like you said you can't play like you did against Ohio State you cannot let those receivers um, absolutely just eat you alive all day where does that start what happened against Ohio State was C.J. Stroud had all day in the pocket sometimes and, or he would scramble with his legs we talked about this last week he would scramble away and create time and so then all of a sudden you got six six seven seconds for defensive backs just chasing some of the fastest receivers out there. I mean, absolutely burners on Ohio State's roster, and they can't do it. And so eventually, those guys get open. Um, so first, it starts on the defensive side where you you can't let him have that much time. Max Duggan is a dude. He was a Heisman finalist, just like C.J. Stroud, just like Stetson Bennett. It, these guys are ballers. And so you cannot let them have all day long to sit there and pick apart your defense. That's step number one. So you're going to have to get some pressure and, and eliminate that. But then with that, He's the opposite of C.J. Stroud, and he's not just scrambling to create extra plays. He's scrambling to run. I mean, the, like you said a second ago, he he. I think I was looking at this earlier. I think he has about 125, roughly, rush attempts on the year and 430-something yards. Uh, very big difference from C.J. Stroud, who only had about 70 yards rushing on the season prior to this game against you. So, you do have to worry about that. You, you might have to spy him. You might have to be careful. You might have to have a linebacker watching him throughout the entire game. Otherwise, he's going to beat you with his – he will beat you with his legs and with his arm. Um, so that's my first thing that I'm looking at is you, you can't do that. Um, offensively for Georgia against them, I mean, TCU also gave up a crap ton of points against Michigan. So their defense is somebody that you can score on. I won't sit here and pretend that I've watched a ton of TCU football this year. I, very little TCU football has been consumed by me. Um, 
so I, I'm not extremely familiar with the team overall. I just enough that I've been able to watch in the past couple of days after Georgia is now set to match up with them. So, but I think Georgia has a lot of opportunity to to put some points on the board once again against TCU's defense. So my first key of that game is is you know don't let Max Duggan beat you with his legs, and don't give him seven seconds in the pocket you know to to find a receiver because they're going to get open at that point. Yeah, I mean, they have, I believe Quentin Johnston, who's the leading wide receiver for the Horn Frogs, I believe he's listed as the top wide receiver for this next draft class. At least some do see him as the first wide receiver that's going to be selected in the in- upcoming NFL draft. So when you pair Max Duggan, a physical and a quick r- quarterback who can run, that, that the, the, when you combine those two things with a really good wide receiver, definitely has to make you worry a little bit. But yeah, th- those are the two things that Georgia's got to worry about on defense. And I think the defense will play better in this game because you have a lot to go off of. It's really one of your first bad defensive game films that you can go off of. I know we said that about LSU, but this was like a different type of bad. This was just kind of like, man, we couldn't stop anybody. It it never felt like against LSU that Georgia just couldn't stop them. It kind of felt like that against Ohio State, that we just could not get stops. But um, So you'll have a lot to look at, and then you'll be able to study up. I think this matchup is going to be fun in general because these are two teams that you really don't see play each other a lot. I know that the last time they played was in 2016 in the Liberty Bowl in Kirby Smart's first year, but these are just two teams that you typically wouldn't see take the same field, and now you get to watch them battle out for a national title. So I think this is going to be a great environment. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, especially being out in Los Angeles, who have great weather for it in a beautiful stadium in SoFi Stadium, home of the Los Angeles Rams. I think it's just going to be great. I know Georgia is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite for this one, so people are thinking that Georgia just kind of, run, kind of runs away with it. But I, I think people kind of expected Michigan to just run away and beat TCU, and they didn't let that happen. This is a football team that's got a lot of momentum quickly, after toppling over Michigan and now they come into the national title looking to dethrone the Kings of college football, the current Kings of college football. So a lot of interesting things about this matchup I'm excited for. I think it's going to be great. Like I said, great environment, two teams that are just, you know, I think the last time that TCU won a national title was 1938. Wow. So, Major implications wow. for both teams, even though Georgia just won it last year. Still major implications for both guys. Georgia could really just instill themselves as the next dynasty in college football. You go back to back. And then TCU, on the other hand, is trying to just claim something that, honestly, they have not ever had. So a lot of interesting things, yeah. a lot of fun. Super excited for it. Next Monday at 730, going to be a good one. Looking forward to it. Absolutely looking forward to that game. And I think what with TCU, they're, they're a dangerous team right now, man, because they came into this playoffs with everybody telling them, hey, y'all shouldn't be here. You know, that you lost your conference champion. We wanted to put Bama in instead of you because, and they're a two-loss team. We, we wanted to put Bama in instead of you guys. Uh, so they, they had that chip on their shoulder. And boy, did they come out just swinging. I mean, you, you score 51 points in a playoff game. Uh, that that's You're there to play. And Michigan, Michigan doesn't usually give up points like that. You know what I mean? Like they're not a team that's known to to allow a, a crap ton of points. Michigan's a hard nosed football team. They like to run the ball. They like to play some decent defense. And uh, it's just crazy what it turned out to be up there in in Arizona, the Fiesta Bowl, because they once again I think that's what makes TCU a dangerous team is because they feel like they've got something to prove. Georgia is a team that's coming off a national championship. Uh, you know, coming off of, you know, expected to be the number, I mean, they were the number one seed expected to be a team in the, in the national championship expected by most people to, 
you know, win the national championship to be favored in every game, no matter who they matched up with. Uh, like you said, being a 13 and a half point favorite. So TCU gets to look at that and goes, Hey, they're still doubting us, man. 13 and a half points. We, we scored 51 against Michigan, 13 and a half point favorite. They really still don't like us, huh? So all that mm-hmm. does is give them the ability to, to their coach to go in there and uh, Sonny Dykes, I think is his name, right? He mm-hmm. gets to go into his locker room and say, Hey, they still don't think y'all are good. They don't still don't think y'all should be here. Don't have an ounce of respect for y'all. And, man, that's a motivating thing. I don't care who you are. Absolutely. As a player, that gets you going. Like, that that says it's time to step up. It's time to make – it's trying, time to show people what we can be. So Georgia has to – you know, I think Georgia was probably a little surprised by Ohio State. Nobody would ever admit that. Kirby Smart's never going to come out there and say that. I think I think Kirby Smart knew they were a good football team, and I think Kirby Smart knew that they would give him a challenge. But I, you can't help but think some of those players – because all the fan base and everybody was sitting here going, ah. Dogs, dogs about to roll through. They, you know, they're going to have a good game. Uh, nobody can beat them in the playoff field. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a fist fight. You're licking your wounds after the game. You, you end up winning by one point. You get to keep moving on. But all of a sudden, you know, you got challenged more than you thought you would. And but you made it through. Once again, everybody looked at TCU thinking they weren't the great team. Now you get to match up with that team. It's the team that most people said, "Dang, I really wish Georgia could play them in the first round." You know that that seems like the easiest matchup of all of them. Now you get that team, you matched up in the national championship after they hung 51 on Michigan, and you, you got to be ready to play. You know, at this point, like what Stan said in there in the comments a minute ago about conditioning being huge because both teams were spent after the game. I, the conditioning is one thing, but just being ready to come back out and play another game where it's going to be as physically daunting. Like it, it's going to be a just fight to the death. The same way that Ohio State, in the sense, it may not be a one-point type game when it's all said and done, whichever, you know, I, I think Georgia can win this game, don't get me wrong, but I, and it's probably not necessarily a one-point game that comes down to a last-second field goal, um, but it's going to be each team, each player on every team giving every ounce of effort they have. They have nothing left after this game. This is it. No matter what, this is the last game of the season. They have nothing left to give except in this game. So you are going to get the best out of every single person on that field. And you just did that same thing a second, like, you know, a couple days ago. I mean, physically, it's, they're going to be exhausted. Absolutely going to be exhausted. Absolutely. And I think one thing that should definitely be mentioned is this is it for a lot of these Georgia players. We named some of them in this um, throughout this episode, you know, Stetson Bennett, Curious Jackson, Nolan Smith. I know he won't be playing, but th- and this is the last time that we'll see them in a Georgia uniform. So regardless of the outcome of this football game, just hold on to that and realize that it's just a, it's this is it for a lot of these guys a lot of guys that have poured in so much into this program and have brought great success to this universe to the university of georgia so just remember that i think it's like i said i think it's gonna be a great game and so just enjoy make the most of it you're in the freaking national championship only two teams get to say that and you're one of them so that's all you can really hold on to and i think you're talking about motivating factors georgia still has a motivating factor because they can say you know Winning the Peach Bowl, beating Ohio State, that was not our goal. That was not our ultimate goal for the season. Job's Job's not not finished. finished. Job's not finished, as Kobe Bryant once said. So a lot of good stuff for Georgia still, a lot of good motivating factors. Kirby Smart always has his guys locked in, so I think both teams are definitely going to be ready to play for this one. But, Stoddard, you got anything else to add for either matchup? Um. Well, one thing I want to say, just to kind of look for, because this is something you always do, and we've, you've talked about a lot, and I've talked about a lot as well. Stetson Bennett, by the way, just to kind of remind mm-hmm. everybody where he's at as far as his, his production, uh, he's roughly 60 yards away from being the all-time leader, uh, single-season passer 
at Georgia, taking over Aaron Murray's record. That was from 2013? 2012, I think. 12, okay. 2012. Um, And he is also 177 yards away from being the first ever 4,000-yard passer in Georgia history. The dude Mm. just, just... Dude. He goes out there and wins you. If he goes out there and wins you a second national championship as a Georgia fan, uh, I don't want to hear anything about you know him not being a great quarterback. I don't want to hear anything about him. You know, he just has all these guys around him. Yeah, man. Every Heisman quarterback out there has always had weapons around them. I mean, everybody like I mean, every Bama, every single Bama Heisman uh, you know quarterback that's thrown for four thousand yards, they've always had stud wide receivers all the way around them. Ohio State. All the quarterbacks they've had that throw 4,000 yards, they always have the best weapon, the best wide receivers out there. So, no, that's not something you should say. You shouldn't say that he just has all this great team around him. No, the dude's just a baller. I mean, he's he's about to do something that no Georgia quarterback has ever done uh, and throw for 4,000 yards in a single season. And then he also could do something and, and lead you to two national championships, which no Georgia player has ever done at any position, you know, has ever been able to win two national championships. So I think that he deserves the respect at that point. And my, I don't, I don't think this is a hot take anymore. I think some people might still think it is, but he's getting drafted. He's going to be on an NFL roster. Um, I, I, at this point that's going to happen. I don't think after seeing how he plays in this game, this past game, how he closes out in the fourth quarter, you can put the ball in his hands. You, you, you line up in the fourth quarter, right? And this will be the last thing I say fourth quarter, last drive of the game. Kirby smart goes into the huddle and says, Hey buddy, you need 72 yards and seven points. What do you do? He's five for five, 72 yards and a touchdown. I mean, what what more can you ask from a player? Fourth quarter, 100, 190 yards in the fourth quarter and two touchdowns. When you you go into the fourth quarter, down 14 points, what more can you ask from a guy? I mean, at this point, any any Georgia fan that disrespects him, just you just don't want, you're not going to, there's nothing he can do. There's literally nothing he can do to change your mind, and that's okay. Just stop talking about him. He will, he, he will definitely leave an everlasting footprint on all of college football for what he has accomplished. The fact that last year people said that Georgia won in spite of him because of Georgia's great defense and what they did. If he were to go on and win a second one, basically a lot because of what he did this season and what he provided for his team, it would definitely be icing on the cake. And it would just forever and eternity, like you said, regardless if people are still talking, but it would forever and eternity shut up the haters forever at that point, at least from a college standpoint. And then, you know, once he gets to professional level, that's a whole different story. But that is going to do it for this episode, guys. Like I said on Twitter, I said this was going to be a loaded episode, and it was. This is one of our longer episodes to date. I can't remember the last time that we went over 50 minutes. So we packed in a lot in this episode. So if you hung in to this point in the episode, shout out to you. We brought a lot of content to you, and I hope you enjoyed every single bit of it. Not sure what next week is going to look like for us. Both Starter and I have a lot of traveling that we're going to be doing back, going back and forth from places. So not sure when we're going to be able to get a national title recap video out to you guys. It might be kind of further out than you would expect us to. So, but we're going to try our best with you guys. We'll communicate with you via social media. We will get you one. All that. We will absolutely get you one. You're not going to miss out on the content, and we're not going to keep content from you. So, But like and subscribe if you haven't already. Do all that good stuff for us. If you haven't already, hit us up on social media if you can. And Stoddard, you get to close us out. As always, you guys, keep it classy in the classic city. Make sure you pack, uh, make sure you pack SoFi Stadium because dogs are going to need you for that game. But we will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. 
take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports Crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at the Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... To the sentiments of the entire Bulldog Nation.